Bass Edge Nation, let's crank it up because it's time to rock Bass Edge Radio. Welcome to another action-packed episode of Bass Edge, presented by MegaWare Keelguard. Check out their goods at keelguard.com and make sure your recreational boating is a better experience. Bass Edge Radio is the place to be to hear bass fishing information from the best pro anglers in the country. We have jumped into the latter part of April, and bass fishing is simply on fire all across the country. That's right, Aaron. Ice out is coming all over the North Country, and the Southern anglers continue to produce some of the biggest bass of the year. Our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight brings to you a fellow that got really familiar with a lot of big bass last month, as we have pro angler John Cruz joining Bass Edge for the first time. Kurt, we will also have a unique guest that has a long history with Bass Edge as we talk with Pond Boss Bob Lusk about an interesting listener question we received a few weeks ago. Well, Aaron, I am definitely intrigued and want to remember everyone that they can stay tuned with Bass Edge through our Facebook page, Twitter handle, and of course, BassEdge.com. Aaron, I'm stoked. Let's just get this show underway. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios. High above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. Well, Kurt, I understand your most recent event has been chasing the Giants on Lake Falcon. Yeah, I was chasing them, but not catching them. (laughs) (laughs) I had a fun time down there, and and I caught some fish. You know, you got to keep things fun. You got to be happy about what you're doing, and that's fishing, and and that's your hobby. And and for me, that's my livelihood. So keeping it fun is is obviously critical. I wanted to do a little bit better, but it just didn't happen. I tell you, you know, Falcon was an interesting event this year. The Elite Series hadn't been there for several years, and there were a lot of big bags caught, similar to your finish there on Table Rock. It's not like you were going out there and getting 25 bites a day. You know, you were grinding through. A lot of the anglers were getting 8 to 12 bites a day. 15 bites was phenomenal. Although you see these big bags coming to the scale, you think, well, they must have caught a gajillion fish to have that big a weight. But really, it was just those quality bites, and there were a few of them that went around, and I was just kind of on the short end of the stick on that that week. Well, you know, it was interesting, Kurt, too, from my understanding, in talking with several of your fellow competitors, it seems like that lake has kind of transitioned a little bit for various reasons of what it was five years ago. Yeah, it sure has. Like any lake, it's going through a cycle, and uh, right now the water's a little low. Uh, even here at Amistad, you know, the water's a little low. The fishing's still pretty good by evidence of weights and, and tournaments, and, and every recreational angler still coming down and, and really enjoying it, but it just isn't that 10 scale, you know, that it was. It's moved down off the scale, but, uh, you know, obviously still a great fishery. The biggest key there 
is we were fishing some spawning fish and uh you know when you can't see those spawners it's hard to know is it a five pounder is it a two pounder <laughs> is it a 12 incher so um that was some of what went through that event and that's why you saw some of those weights you know some of the best anglers in the country would go out and catch 20 pounds one day and then five or six pounds the next day but that's part of fishing but again it's still fun and enjoyed my time down there now you had something going on up there in central missouri not to be confused with stockton california but stockton lake right there around your hometown i did it's the central pro-am association which is a circuit that i'm kind of committed to it uh, has a, a neat history and something that's kind of near and dear to my heart because i fished that as a co-angler and it birthed a lot of the anglers it was kind of a top circuit in the midwest and you know snowden to rick clun to stacy king a lot of those guys actually that's where they kind of cut their teeth in the competitive sport so it's a stacked field but the interesting thing about this tournament that i was looking forward to was the fact that i had not been on stockton lake since 1991 and i had never fished a tournament and by kind of reading the reports everybody thought it it is a big fish lake and just given the time of year everybody thought that we were going to break the all-time central pro-am weigh-in records so you know i'm going i'm coming off of a bfl tournament you know kurt to where had 22 pounds and a couple eight pounders so i'm thinking okay i've got to really be able to duplicate that on stockton but the interesting thing is that bigger class of fish was just not reacting and was not feeding and even additionally you know over the course of the multi-day tournament there was only 12 anglers that was able to go out and put limits together every day fortunately i was one of them but uh, to be able to figure that out i had to downsize and i didn't actually come across that until the latter part of the tournament and that's only because stockton is traditionally known for wind it gets extremely rough normally never goes calm but we had one little short time a few hours in practice to where the lake went flat as glass before the big front came in and dropped temperatures and went to raining and snowing and nasty weather and that's where I really kind of figured that out so I was fortunate I was able to have my limit both days in the boat a little bit over an hour into the tournament which kind of made me fish at a much more comfortable level you know it's something that continues to flare up here on Bass Edge and that's downsizing you think about the spawning time of year and all these big bass and and of course there is some success had with using the big baits but you can't just take out of your arsenal everything else and just assume you're going to go out there with the big baits during this time of year and need it to catch the big fish because uh, obviously in your case there at Stockton you know able to downsize put some fish in the boat and and have another quality showing there at, at an event in Missouri that's great you know and, and I know an old Bass Edge hand uh, Mike Webb you know he's he's kind of running that central pro-am now so it sounds like Mike's doing a great job with that as well he for sure is and it's nice to see that you know we have an overwhelming number of co-anglers that's trying to get into the tournament which I think says a lot about our sport in general and don't ever underestimate the fact that we all have an opportunity to teach something to share our sport with a child with a fellow co-worker friend family member whatever let's be sure that we do our part when we do have the opportunity to spend the day on the water with them for sure well this time of year april you know we're getting into the spawning bed fishing time frame kind of moving away from the pre-spawn and uh man we got a lot of cool things to talk about with our luke soil angler spotlight guest this week is john cruz and he's going to talk some about his experiences down at falcon and catching some of those spawning bed fishing and and that's something that i really love to do still taking care you got to be conscious of the resource you can't just go through there and really just tear the joint apart but i think as anglers you know this is an exciting time of year when you can actually get all kinds of your uh senses you know you start to see the fish and uh that's something that we don't normally get to do so it's it's a lot of fun i couldn't agree more kurt like you said to see how a bass responds and that visual interaction of real-time data to me that is what the spring represents and it's less about catching 
sure that is fun, but just seeing those bass and, and trying to, like you said earlier, trying to, is that a 12 inch or is that a two pounder? Is that an eight pounder? That's right. I recall several guide trips where I'll have clients out there and we'll start seeing the bass in the uh, reproduction cycle. You know, they're rolling and spinning around and knocking off each other, you know, getting prepared to uh, lay the eggs in the nest and, and all the things that go through it. And just to watch it visually is, I mean, it's amazing. It's a lot of fun. I'll tell you what, we got John Cruz getting on the phone, so let's move on to the next segment of the show. Bass Edge will return here in just a moment. At Legend Boats, we have one agenda, to build the finest bass boat on the water. It's our passion. Our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. The Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend Boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. More Bass Edge in 30 seconds. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. continue to trend this month with another fantastic addition to the Bass Edge family in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. This angler has some big wins in his resume and is a perennial Bassmaster Classic qualifier. We have BASS Elite Angler, John Cruz, the Cruz Missile. Welcome to Bass Edge, buddy. John, just last month, you, what I would consider, cemented yourself into the Century Club at the Falcon Lake BASS Elite event. Congratulations, by the way. I mean, 100-plus pounds during a four-day fishing event is simply awesome, and I know much of the country is kind of into the same fish behavior stage as you experienced there in South Texas a, a few weeks back, and that, of course, is the spawn. Help us understand how you go about identifying and targeting spawning fish when you can't see them. That's a good question. I appreciate yeah, the, the catch, uh, hitting that century mark was pretty awesome. It was uh, it was definitely a grind to uh, to catch those fish down there, but the average size was so big. You know, if you were able to get enough bites, you could do it. But yeah, identifying that spawn is something I, I do a lot with water temperature. And uh, when you put the boat in the water and the water temperature is 70 or above, that usually means that there's a few fish still spawning, and a lot of them are going to be in post-spawn, and that's what we had down there at Falcon when we were last down there, but it's something I, I do a lot with the water temperature. If you put your boat in the water in the morning, and it's above 58 degrees as the, in the springtime, if that water temperature is uh, moving up, if it's above 58 degrees from 58 to 62, you can you can almost guarantee the fish will be spawning. When you're uh, in that zone, like you, you talk about, you know, the water temperature that you're looking for, is there an actual pace of fishing that you try to adhere to during that time frame? What I mean by pace, you know, a speed of fishing that you try to emulate. Right. Yeah, I think the biggest mistake I see a lot of anglers make during the spawn is when they're not 
fish bite fishing, they fish way too fast. There's a lot of fish on beds and getting ready to make beds, and they're all in a similar mood. They're not reacting to a lot of bait like they do in other times of the year. You really have to fish where you think they would be spawning and, and fish really slow, and if the water's stained, they have a tendency to bite a lot easier than they do in the clear water. But in the clear water, you can see them versus not being able to see them. So it's kind of a give and a take, having the fish bite quickly in the stained water and not see them versus being able to see them and them being a little more finicky. When you're uh, fishing clear water enough to actually see the fish on the beds, how do you go about attacking those particular fish? I mean, obviously, if you can't see them, you're just kind of fishing down the bank. And as you suggested, go really slow might be a great process for anglers to take in that time frame. But when you can actually see them, do you have a process to be successful in catching those fish that you can see on the beds? Well, I think the two biggest pieces of advice for people wanting to become a better bed fisherman are two things. One, you need to be able to read the fish quickly. And two, you need to be able to cover a lot of water. I see a lot of people go too slow when they're uh, looking for fish on beds. And you've got to be able to read those fish quickly because if you can read the fish within the first two or three casts and tell whether that fish is catchable or not, that's a huge help because you don't waste a lot of time on a fish that you shouldn't be. So you went 20 or 30 minutes without seeing one on a bed and then you, you find one on a bed that's a two and a half or three pounder, but it's really skittish. That fish could have been caught. It could have been caught twice already during the season and it's real skittish. It's just not conducive to biting. And if you can read that fish and understand its body language and how it's relating to the bed quickly, you can realize, hey, I'm not going to be able to catch that fish. We need to roll out and find another one. Versus sitting on that one fish for 30 minutes or 45 minutes and then realizing, oh man, I can't catch this thing. Those are the two biggest things. And I would say experience is going to be a big factor in both of those. Well, John, based on your experience, how long will anglers expect to actually see bass spawning or spawning activity in their lake? I think it kind of depends on the population of the lake. If the lake has a lower population, uh, you know, like bass per acre, you're going to have one major spawn, and that's going to be about it. If you have a lot bigger population, I think that they have multiple spawns. As long as the water temperature is above that 58 degrees, some of them may spawn below, but as long as it's above that threshold and it's not above 80, you'll have fish go on two or three different moons. They do that quite a bit in Florida. They'll spawn on multiple moons with, with the big wave being at one, you know, one time or another, but they'll have multiple times. Um, and you can catch spawning fish usually on most lakes for about a month long. I'm going to jump back real quick. You talked about reading the fish. For people that haven't seen a fish on a bed or, or wanting to kind of, you know, experience this phenomenon that happens every spring. What's the first thing you take as a negative fish body language? And conversely, what's the first positive fish body language that you can actually see the fish do that you're trying to read? A couple of the keys that you're looking for are, one, if the fish will not move off the bed is a good sign. And if you see the fish, and the, either the closer you get to it or the more you cast in there, if you see their fins start moving faster, that means they're getting aggressive, they're getting mad, and that's a good thing as far as catching them goes. Those are two things to look for, and quite often the fish will move off the bed, and then reading how long it takes that fish to come back into the bed is also something you, you want to watch for. Sometimes they don't all you know, stay parked on the bed, as I call it. They, uh, a lot of them will move off the bed. And then if you give them, you know, 10 or 15 seconds, they'll come back. Some of them take two or three minutes. Some of them will take 10 minutes. And believe it or not, I, I know a lot of people, they say, man, that fish would come back in the bed and he would leave and it would take him five minutes to come back. And I'm thinking to myself, well, why did you sit there and wait? Why did you go look for another one? Because right. if they're spawning, there's, there's another one spawning. You know, why are you going to wait for the 
the most finicky one, even if it's a big fish, a five or six or seven pounder. If it's that finicky, you're probably not going to catch it. Well, John, it sounds to me like you better make dang sure that you've got a quality pair of polarized sunglasses or you're not going to be able to see the gills flaring and the fins movement and, and that type of activity that you speak of. Absolutely. That's a big factor, having the proper lens color. I think it's very important as well. I like uh, something more in the brown or amber colors, uh, not the gray. Seems to do a lot better for me on seeing the fish and be able to differentiate bed and fish and, and all that kind of stuff. And I also see people that they have a hard time actually seeing the fish. And there's two things that I look for. You look for the black tail and you look for the black stripe. And that's the way you can tell a bass versus a starp or a bass versus a of grass. You look for those two things, the stripe and the tail. That'll find you the bass. That's a great tip, good way to identify those fish down there. You know, a couple questions ago, you kind of grazed over moon phase a little bit when we were talking about how long spawning activity actually lasts through, you know, a particular impoundment. How important do you feel like the moon phase is? You know, there's obviously several different phases, but you hear about the full moon or the new moon. Is there a particular moon you feel like is more conducive? And uh, what's your opinion on, on how a moon phase affects the spawning fish? Most of the time, the moon phase is not as important as everybody thinks it is. Everybody talks about, all oh, the full moon this, the full moon that. To me, the weather trends during the spawn are a lot more important. If you get a real hard cold front right before they're getting ready to spawn, and then it warms up real hot, which happens almost every spring right during that spawn period, that seems to trigger a big wave of fish to spawn, no matter what the moon phase is. You know, And like I said, you put that boat in the water and it's 58, 59 degrees, they're going to be going. And if it's, you know, on a warming trend, you know, the next three days, it's going to be 80 degrees. They're going to be hitting the bank hard. And I think that if the moon is right, it makes the spawn that much better. If that coincides with a full moon, then you see every fish in the lake just about hit the bank and start spawning. It's really gangbusters. But I don't think the moon phase is as important as a lot of people. And, you know, just like I do, we fish tournaments. A lot of people fish when they can. And you can't really plan your fishing trips around the moon phase. It's a little easier to go fishing when you can and just let the water temperature dictate what you're looking for. Right. And, and I'm sure a lot of us, if we got the 9 to 5 and we see that warming trend coming, we're probably going to call in sick a day or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, hey, uh, we're going to take a really quick break and bring John Cruz back for a discussion about his new lure company and more. Stay tuned. This is Bass Edge Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Whether you're on the road, on the water, or in your backyard, there's a super start battery when you need one at O'Reilly Auto Parts. From car batteries to batteries for your lawnmower or boat, every super start battery comes with a nationwide replacement warranty. Starting power, starting performance, and starting reliability, super start batteries available exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron Martin and Kurt Dove. We continue the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products. From real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, visit lucasoil.com. Made in America. John, you developed your own bait company, Missile Baits, over the last year or so, and I've actually had some great success with your D-Bomb soft plastic lure. And let's face it, there's a ton of stuff out there on the market. What was it that you saw missing in the industry that led you to want to develop your own unique baits? That's a good question. 
question. As I found myself not having a soft plastic sponsor for a year, quite a few years back, I was fishing with what I wanted, exactly what I wanted. It was no obligation to fish one company's baits or anything like that. I could fish anything I wanted to. And what I found was that I couldn't find exactly what I wanted. I wanted a bait that had this and a little of that and then some of this and then tails like this. And the more I went along, the more I found out there was a lot of bait that were not out there on the market that I, I wanted for my personal fishing for a reason. And so that's really what I'm doing with the missile bait. People uh, tell me all the time, well, that ought to sell real well. I'm like, selling's one thing. I want bait that'll catch fish for me. And if I, they catch fish for me, I know other people are going to use them and catch fish as well. And, you know, they're designed to be different, but they're also designed to be better. That's really what I'm going for with all the missile baits. Well, John, we get questions daily about sponsorships and how can someone get a deep with a lure company. And I find your vantage point very interesting because you're on both ends of the spectrum. And the question I guess that I would like for you to clarify is what do you do to be successful obtaining sponsors? But then also what do you look for when providing anglers with sponsorship through missile baits? The first year of, of our business, the pro staff was myself, and Ish Monroe. If you want to see what a professional angler is supposed to do for any company that he represents, you need to watch Ish Monroe closely for about a month or two, especially during the fishing season. You'll see exactly what you need to do. He works so hard for all those companies, including uh, Missile Bait. In my opinion, he's exactly what every angler should do on the promotional and business side of fishing. And then this year, we added a uh, pro staff, a regional pro staff kind of scattered all around the country. We call those anglers the bombs squad, kind of named after the uh, E-bomb and playing off the missile bait name. And we had fun with it. We made up t-shirts and sweatshirts and, and things like that for the guys. And they really enjoy it. And they're, they're kind of the um, ground troops, if you will, for us. And they go around to talk to a lot of anglers and clubs and tackle shops and generate leads for us. And obviously, they fish the beef as well. The interesting thing was a lot of them, I knew who they were before they even applied to be on. Just as part of being a, an angler that gets to travel around the country and meet people all the time, I, I knew a bunch of I kind of knew what I was getting into with the number of those guys. Well, and communication plays a huge role, Absolutely. you know, being part of that. Because when you hear the word pro staff, you know, it doesn't necessarily, I always view it kind of as promotional staff versus professional staff. Right. It's a good way to look at it. I totally agree. You know, you've seen a lot of these resumes come across your desk now in the Missile Baits office. If you could give some of the weekend anglers some ideas on some unique items or some unique things that people have kind of plugged to you so that they could potentially acquire a sponsorship through a company. What are some of those unique things that you've seen come across your desk there? All the sponsorship requests go through one of my employees, Shannon Wheeler. He gets to cipher through all those. When we had the bomb squad application taken, I mean, we had over 200 come in, way over 200, he said. It was kind of flattering that in our first year, uh, not even a first year of business, we had a lot of attention and, and people wanted to represent the brand. But I tell you, there, there's a couple easy things that sound easy, but you would be very surprised uh, when you when you start getting these resumes and you see these emails. The emails need to be grammatically correct, no misspelled words, correct punctuation, know the difference between T-H-E-R-E and T-H-I-E-R-E. <laughs> I mean, there's a difference. There's two different words, but you got to make sure you use the proper word, proper grammar, and then you got to have a resume that looks professional and, and keep it short. We're looking through 200 of these resumes. We don't have time to look through a, you know, 
eight or ten page novel. We need one to two pages of uh, clear, concise who you are, what you're about, what you can do for Missile Base. That's the way to go. And, and if you look through uh, the, the guys that we picked, those are uh, is all definitely uh, concise for, for that. Good stuff. It's, it's pretty interesting to see how sponsorship and things have grown and kind of changed throughout the last five years. All of a sudden now you have so many other avenues other than putting a patch on your shirt or just fishing the baits and tournaments or whatever. You know, you've got social media, you've got, you know, places that, that you can talk through and get on the web and fishing forms. There's there's a lot of little ways that an angler can really develop a uh, following and develop a network so that they can promote products. And, and it's so important for weekend anglers and weekend tournament anglers to, to utilize those aspects to show value for a potential sponsor like Missile Baits or, or what, whatever bait company someone might use out there to uh, be successful in, in that sponsorship avenue. But uh, well, I appreciate you, you talking about those uh, important aspects. Always we get a lot of questions, as many people do. I'm sure you do all the time as well about how to get that next sponsorship deal or how to start working with a lure company. So interesting spectrum you have there being on both ends. To me, it's about looking at who is going to represent the Missile Base brand. And I want people that are the people that are take the time to have a grammatically correct email and use the proper words and, and all that kind of look professional. I know they're going to represent my brand in the same way, and that's what I'm looking for. And I feel like a lot of companies are looking for the same thing. Well, I tell you what, John, it's the time of the show when we get to answer a listener question and award a hundred dollar gift card to O'Reilly Auto Parts, the professional parts people. And we've got a question today from Michael Brindle, kind of close to your geographic location. He's from Rock. Hill, South Carolina. And um, his question is, first off, I love your podcast. I'm a religious listener. And I have a question regarding this crazy weather conditions in upstate South Carolina. I usually fish Lake Wiley and the Catawba River. But my question is, how do you go about finding patterns and techniques when the weather is 70 degrees one day and the very next day it snows? As of now, I don't know whether to fish shallow or deep. Please help. These bass are driving me nuts. Again, that question is from Michael Brindle. Well, uh, for Michael, I would tell him that the weather usually affects the fishermen a lot more than the fish. A lot of times the water temperature changes will dictate what goes on. If the water temperature is rising, the fish are usually going to be a little more aggressive and strike zone is going to be a little bigger. You can get away with a lot more power base. If that water temperature is dropping, either you have to slow way down, the fish aren't going to swim to the other end of the lake. You may have to slow down a little bit to get bit, or you have to go to more of a reaction bait, like a jerk bait, especially in the springtime when you get those cold fronts and the water temperature drops five or six degrees, the jerk bait all of a sudden becomes really good because a lot of shad start dying off and, and the fish are conditioned to that water chilling down. They've got bait fish swimming around erratically, and uh, I, think, I feel like those jerk baits work real well when that happens. Well, certainly good stuff there, John. And Michael Brindle, you have an answer straight from the cruise missile. Congratulations for having your question chosen to be asked on the show. Please contact us here at Bass Edge. Email us stating you heard your question on the show to redeem your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. Bass Edgers keep sending in those questions along with your name and hometown to Bass Edge Radio through our email, support at BassEdge.com, or post them on our Bass Edge Facebook page and our Twitter handle at 
Bass Edge. When your question is chosen to be answered on the show, let us know you heard it via email, and you will win a $100 gift card from the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Well, John, it's certainly been a pleasure having you with Bass Edge, and let's be sure we make this the first time of many to come. You got any last comments for our listeners out there? Yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Really enjoyed it, and I love the questions. They're very educational, specific, and you guys are really helping anglers to be educated to be better at fishermen, and that's essentially what I'm doing with Methyl Bakes. I'm trying to help anglers catch more fish. That's what we love doing, and hopefully everybody can uh, can also follow me on Facebook. I've got a John Cruz fan page and a Twitter handle of Cruise Missile. Trying to be on social media as much as possible. It's a fun way to interact with fans there as well. Yeah, I got, I got to give a quick shout-out to John's website, too. He does some awesome YouTube videos, and uh, Bass fans and Bass Edge Nation will uh, certainly enjoy those as well. So, good stuff, John. Thanks for being with us. Bass Edge Radio will be right back now you can order bass edge season three on dvd own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host aaron martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers including denny brower boyd duckett randy howell and dave wolak this two disc set includes all 13 episodes that's over 10 hours of bass edge including interviews bloopers and highlights all for just 19.95 order online at BassEdge.com and be sure to check out previously released dvds like bass edge seasons one and two and electronics 101 Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerpole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerpole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerpole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerpole, swift, silent, secure. Visit Powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. This is BASS Elite Angler, Fred Rambanis, and you are dialed into Bass Edge Radio. Well, Aaron, once again, that was an awesome interview with John Cruz, and, and he mentions a lot of really good, interesting points about the spawning fish and sponsorships, which seems to be like a, a timeless question in uh, the bass fishing industry. Aaron, we've got Bob Lusk on the phone, you know, an old schooler for the Bass Edge relationship. What's Bob got with us today? I am so happy to bring back our good friend Bob Lusk. He obviously has a, a long history with Bass Edge Television here on the podcast. And, you know, Kurt, my thing is, is rather than us two sitting around kind of speculating what we think, I always like to bring some empirical data in and no man better than the pond boss himself, Mr. Bob Lusk. Bob, welcome back to Bass Edge Radio. Well, greetings and thanks for the invite. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you guys for a little bit. Absolutely. And, Bob, just for our new listeners who perhaps are not quite as familiar with your background, and what you do. Dive off in and tell us a little bit about kind of what's going on with Pond Boss these days and what's on the schedule of Bob Lusk. Well, gosh, I'm having a great time. This is my 34th year as a private sector fisheries biologist. I get to travel the nation helping design, build, manage, stock, take care of some of the coolest fishing lakes around the United States on private property. And then Pond Boss Magazine, good gosh, that thing continues to grow at the rate of a runaway glacier. But <laughs> Pond, Boss, Pond Boss comes out every other month. It's a magazine that's designed 
designed to help people be better stewards of their water. And uh, gosh, our website's flourishing. Our discussion forum is just expanding by leaps and bounds. So Bob Boss is doing great, and my life could not be better. Well, Bob, I got a quick question for you. I'm totally into all the things that you're into because I'm, I'm passionate about bass fishing. Of course, I'm passionate about catching bass, most importantly for me. So how do I get on some of those lakes? <laughs> oh, Kurt, we'll find out. I've got to tell me what you're going to be, and we'll see if we can round one up. <laughs> all right, that sounds good. I'm ready. I'll be traveling around the country, so you can be sure I'll be dialing for bass. Have your phone ready, that's for sure. Holler <laughs> at We'll go do something. It'll be fun. Well, I tell you what, we've got a uh, interesting listener question for this episode, and, and Bob, we need to get your help with answering that question on the show today. Of course, this lucky listener is also going to receive that O'Reilly Auto Parts $25 gift card, but this question comes from Robert Haney of Fort Mitchell, Alabama, and Robert asks, a boat ramp like Lake Point on Eufaula has multiple tournaments every weekend. There could be as many 200 boats bringing five fish in every day. When those anglers release their fish, where do they go? I have fished the 300 meters of riprap the next day and caught nothing. How far do fish travel in a night? Again, that question is from Robert of Fort Mitchell, Alabama. What a great question. I'll tell you what happens with bass. Now, I'm going to focus mostly on largemouth bass since the question comes from Alabama. Spots are similar. What happens is when they're first released, they're a little disoriented because they've been pulled out of the water, been in a live well, been weighed, and then they've been released. So they'll sit there for just a little bit, but not long because their nature is to find a place that is safe and a place they can eat without having to compete. And I'll tell you this, depending on how far those fish traveled from home, they'll go home. You know, if it's less than a mile, they'll be home in a day. And then, of course, some of that's going to hinge on the temperature. The cooler the water is, the slower they move, the longer it takes. But over half of those fish are going to go right back where they were. Now, if it's a long distance, you know, seven, eight, ten miles, it may take them a month to get there, but they'll go back. Now, the half that don't go back, they find a better deal. So they'll find a place where the food is abundant. The thing about bass that's fascinating to me is that they condition to their environment, and their environment environment is a zone and in that zone they have all the elements they need to either be able to reproduce to feed the habitat requirements a place to be safe where they can hide and not be eaten by somebody bigger than they are but more than half of them are going to go right back where they were it may just take a little bit longer you know i mean some bass have been documented with radio tracking devices to go five miles in one day you know most of them don't do that most of them will go a quarter of a mile maybe half a mile a day but they kind of got a natural homing device inside of them that will help them track back where they came from. Well, Bob, what about as far as, you know, that's an isolated situation to where, in particular, that tournament is releasing at the boat ramp. You know, I'm a big fan of some of the release boats that are used where they take them into a major bay and people don't necessarily know where they pull the hatch to disperse the fish. Any differences there? Or, I mean, are we still talking about the same principles that the bass are going to return where they came from? Well, it's pretty much the same principles because the way to look at that is when you release them at a boat ramp that's the end of the spoke of the wheel but when you take them out into more open water it's more like the hub of the wheel. Now one thing that bass don't like is they don't really like open water. It's kind of like us trying to trek across the Sahara Desert. You know, How do you know which way to go? Because you know they orient more to the shoreline but they still have that same innate sense to be able to go where they came from even if they're released out in water that's even more open. But they will, they'll scatter toward the shore and they'll get there as fast as they can 
can and then figure out where they need to go. And I guess when you talk about open water, you're just kind of talking about out in the abyss, but they'll still be offshore or on cover and, and those types of things, but they're wanting to be around something. And and I, I really find it interesting that you talk about the lack of competition for food. I'd be getting the heck out of that boat ramp <laughs> real quick because if there's that many fish they're releasing in that particular area or, or any you know release area on a lake, although like you say, you're going to have a certain percentage that hang out, but then there's going to be a lot of fish that want to leave and kind of get back to their own space for sure. That's right. And I'm going to tell you, science suggests and my experience suggests that at least half of them are going to make a good attempt to get back where they came from, where they belong and make it. Those that don't get there, I think they find a better place, a place that was even better than where they were, which means they've got all the different elements. You know, largemouth bass especially like to live off of points, fairly shallow water, quick access to deep water or on and around humps in the summertime. So if they find something that suits the conditioning that they've become accustomed to, they'll stay there. But for the most part, they'll go back where they started. Well, and I know, Bob, one of the things that you've mentioned kind of echoed throughout the halls of Bass Edge many times and really taught me that is bass, essentially, they need food, security, and comfort. You know, not to oversimplify it, but that's kind of what you're talking about here. Yeah, it really is. Because, you know, the nature of a bass is to eat big, eat not real often. It takes them about eight hours to digest a full meal. So, you know, the span of time that they feed is relatively short. And then the rest of the time, they're either preparing to eat or they're hiding or they're, you know, just kind of hunkered down where they're safe. So they may suspend in 40 feet of water. They may spend it at 20 feet next to a log that comes off the shore or something. And they'll just sit there. You'll see them on the depth finder or on, on the side imaging or something, and those things aren't moving. And there's nothing you can do to make them move. It's just because that's where they're safe. That's a pretty big deal for a bass. They want to be able to eat, hide, be safe, ambush. That's pretty much it. I got to say, Bob, you know, the more I think about this from an angler's perspective, you know, being a guide down here at Lake Amistad, I'll get on a lot of fish or an area that have a lot of fish. And if I stay on them and, you know, the weather's stable and they kind of stay in that location, I can actually tell, you know, let's say I weigh a fish, you know, and, and I, or I see certain markings on a particular fish. I'll notice I might catch that fish two or three times over a two-week period because, like you say, they're kind of homed in on a particular area and in the same point from an angler's perspective like this question with the released fish right after the tournament i can't go out there and just start whacking them because all those fish are let go you know they're moving out but there is a certain population that you know after a day or two you know like you talked about the disorientation and they get settled in and maybe rehone on an area or a place where they can feed you know, it can be a good place to locate fish and catch fish. But, you know, I see a lot of the similarities just from an angler standpoint through catching fish here at Lake Amistad, for instance. I totally believe that. And really, largemouth bass are creatures of habit to a large extent, but that habit is based on what they've been conditioned to. So if a fish that's released from a boat ramp, for example, can find a zone or an area that replicates what it's used to, it's going to succeed there. If it's not, it's either going to move on or deteriorate. For the most part, it'll move on until it finds something where it can live. So bass are pretty hardy as long as they were able to live within what they were conditioned to as little bitty fish growing up to about three or four pounds. 
after that, they're pretty well set in their way. Right. We could go all kinds of ways with these kind of conversations. And Aaron, I think we probably hit another episode where we bring Bob back and, and move on into even more deeper topics about fish behavior. But real quick, I want to thank Robert Haney of Fort Mitchell, Alabama for his question. Robert, be sure you contact us and let us know you heard your question on the show and we'll get you out that $25 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. Well, Bob, once again, thanks for your assistance. Great to have you back on back. Edge, and I can promise you there will not be near as many moons between our next visit. Any closing thoughts for our listeners before we shut this down? I'll tell you what, I, I deeply appreciate the depth in which this question was asked because not only is it a good common sense question, but it helps create some conversation and some thought as to what really goes through a bass's brain, even though it's not much bigger than a peanut. I really appreciate you guys letting me hang out with you and talk about this because this is the kind of stuff that I'm passionate about as well. So I'd love to come back and thanks for letting me hang out with you. Well, Bob, hats off to you and uh, certainly we want to try and kind of nip the bucket biology as you so pointedly pointed out many episodes ago. That's our passion as well. Always a pleasure. That is a wrap for episode number 158. Thanks to our guests, John Cruz and Bob Lusk. And most importantly, thank you, the listeners. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. Have a great week, everybody. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. HeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. HeelGuard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.